Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. We have a few people we'll be speaking with today. And first of all, I want to thank uh, Elmer Dixon uh, uh, with Executive Diversity Services, who is calling in from Dublin, Ireland. And uh, so about 10 o'clock over there. And also, I think we've been joined by former King County Council member, BSU president, and also was a Panther along with Elmer, Larry Gossett. Are you on the line, Larry Gossett? Yeah. Okay, thank you. So anyway, I tell you what, we're going to talk about uh, one of your comrades, uh, Gary Owens, but I'd like to start out, first of all, by just talking uh, about uh, uh, Elmer Dixon's success. Uh, Larry, he's over in, Ar- in Dublin, Ireland right now. So uh, well, I, I'd oh, like so to share about this. Was- yeah, I, w- I wanted him to start just uh, for a couple of minutes before we go to talk about my friend, Gary Owens. Uh, what, how, how do you happen to end up in, in Dublin, Ireland, uh, Elmer Dixon? Well, first of all, I was invited uh, to speak to a, uh, an audience at Trinity College. I had spoken to them uh, via Zoom uh, to their Black Studies program uh, last year. And this year they saw the opportunity to bring me over because in the UK and in Ireland, they celebrate Black History Month during the month of October. So they brought me over for their October celebration. But along the way, uh, this student group got wind that I was coming. And the uh, it's the oldest student group in the world, 500 years old. And for 300 years, they have been honoring people with what they call the Gold Patron Award, uh, which they wanted to present to me for my service in the Black Panther Party and uh, in civil rights and human rights and uh, the work that I'm doing with our company. And so um, I agreed to accept the award only on the condition that I would accept it uh, for the um, uh, my comrades in the Black Panther Party because uh, we never accepted or looked for individual awards and that uh, this was not for me an individual award. It was about uh, the work that the Black Panther Party did, and I just happened to be the recipient of it. So I accepted the medallion. I have a gold medallion. Uh, that was has been given to the likes of uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, Joe, Biden, Joe Biden, Winston Churchill. There's a long list of people that have uh, been recipients of this award. So it was truly an honor to uh, receive it on on the behalf of my comrades. Yeah, well, I'm very proud uh, of the work that uh, you and your family have been doing for for, for actually for decades, uh, but. Uh, as we know, uh, on September 30th, uh, Gary, uh, Gary Wade Owens passed away. And uh, Gary was, uh, uh, I mean, he worked with people, I guess, his whole life. As long as I've known him, he's been doing something supportive for people. But uh, you guys had, uh, had a much closer relationship than I did in terms of actually work, doing some door to, uh, day-to-day work. And I know that he also uh, was a graduate of Franklin High School. So... Right. Uh, uh, Larry, I'd like to have you start off talking about your days. Were you guys were in the same class at Franklin, or was it? Yeah, both Gary Owens and I uh, graduated from Franklin way back in 1963. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be one of their uh, basketball players, and Gary was fortunate enough <laughs> Uh, during our junior and senior year to be on the Yale squad. Back in those days, they had boys and girls that, that you know, got the audiences riled up, and nobody could dance better or shout better uh, than Gary Owens when we were in high school. That's a side of his life that a lot of people are not aware of. But like now, uh, Eddie, uh, Gary was always very popular because he always showed care for uh, individuals all throughout our student body, a lot of whom never got recognized. But if they needed help or he perceived they needed support or encouragement, Gary was there. It didn't matter. Our, our school was 80% white. It didn't matter what color you are. Uh, Gary Owens was there to be supportive, and that's the way. Uh, he continued to be all his life, even after becoming a revolutionary when he joined SNCC, University of Washington Black Student Union, and the Black Panther Party. And in that order, 
uh, during the 1960s. And then he went on to have a professional career with uh, the city of Seattle. Yeah. Uh, doing some fantastic work. There. As a matter of fact, I want to let people, our listeners know that uh, uh, on uh, the Tuesday paper, uh, October uh, 18th, uh, uh, Naomi Ishikawa did a, a real good uh, article on Gary. And also, uh, we know that his uh, uh, celebration of life will be uh, next Thursday, the 27th at 4 p.m. at the Filipino Community Center. And uh, you, you also mentioned uh, at the University of Washington, uh, you guys, uh, what was his activities out there? He was a member of the Black Student Union as well. I know you guys are both yeah. SNCC members yeah. too. Um, yeah, and I think he, he, he came in in that first uh, class that ended the University of Washington in the, the fall or winter. Fall of 67, winter of 68. That was around the time that Gary came into the University of Washington. And he just he got had, out of the Army? Yeah, yeah. He had been in the service, but he got involved in the Black Student Union. He had already, I don't know if ever, if El, Elmer remembers this, he actually, after Sophie Carmichael spoke in Seattle, joined Seattle's neck a little bit in the fall of 767. Man, E.J. Briscoe's calling me right now. I can't believe it. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Tell him to anyway, get on I'll, I'll get back to E.J. later. Now, also, uh, uh, I think Gary had, well, got drafted into the military, and he came out. That's when he went to the University of Washington. But at the same time, uh, he ran into uh, Mr. Elmer and Aaron Dixon. So, uh, uh, Elmer, can you uh, give, give, give us some comments about your relationship with Gary as a member of the Seattle Black Panther Party? Yes, uh, you know Gary. Um, he did join early in uh, our uh, existence in 1968, and he brought with him something that we needed uh, badly, and that was um, his experiences in the military. Because we were uh, uh, learning how to put, you know, our military operation in, into uh, into uh, into position, and also how we were going to fortify our offices from attack, and so. Excuse me. The advice that we got from former Vietnam veterans was critical. So Gary was with us in those very early years and uh, was a powerful community activist who, um, you know, worked in the community and uh, and worked on several of our programs. But, you know, his his efforts and and work in the community, um, you know, were you know while they were inspired by that early activity in SNCC, I was actually. Uh, uh, joined SNCC after Stokely came as well. But those early years really laid the foundation for the work that would carry him through the rest of his life because he worked in, uh, as as Larry said, in, in the city of Seattle in the office of na- the neighborhood. But he right. also worked with a community organization called Lilo. And so he was he was always out there on the front lines. And one of the things about him that, that Larry and EJ may remember is that, that he was a constant reader. He was always getting philosophy and theory and was always sharing that with people that were around him. But uh, that was one of the things that he was known for, was that uh, he understood revolutionary theory because he studied it so well. Right. And and his wife, Cindy Domingo, would definitely bear that out because she was talking a couple of weeks ago about all the books that he had in his room that came to her house each and every day. So what's your most memorable uh, uh, moment uh, with uh, Gary Owens and the the Black Panther Party? You just said he was a constant reader and shared that information. Uh, You know, uh, Elmer, why don't you share with us too some of the programs that the uh, the Panther Party initiated, like the free breakfast program for the kids in the schools, the medical clinic, stuff like that. Because I, I was a supporter yep. of all of them, and I had to debate some some uh, uh, other black folks in the community that had different ideas, but I prevailed every time. So why don't you just uh, let let people know what the Panthers were doing during that time? Well, it's important to note that some people mistakenly believe that we had social service programs, or somehow was were some kind of a social service agency. We didn't have social service programs. We were taught very early on that power is the ability to define phenomena and make it act in a desired manner. 
So that meant we had to go out into the community and do our research and analyze the community to see what their conditions were. We found very quickly that young black kids were not getting fed before they went to school. And so that's what instigated us into starting the free breakfast program. We also discovered that in the CD, uh, we had the second highest infant mortality rate in the whole state of Washington. And that meant that young black women were not uh, getting prenatal care. Um, uh, when they did have babies, they weren't getting having uh, well uh, baby care for their new infants. And so the very first clinic that we started in our free medical clinic was a well baby clinic. But these were programs that were designed to help the community survive. We called them survival programs pending revolution because we were trying to build a revolutionary movement. And I think as you as you talk about Gary in relationship to those, you know, Gary was very important in, you know, helping us organize, you know, our PE classes internally and also how we could educate the community externally because he did so much research uh, to, you know, to help engage people in that kind of a, a learning process. But those programs were important and critical. Um, we embarrassed the federal government into feeding kids. Uh, and now uh, and for the last 20-some years, 30 years, kids can a- have actually gone to school and gotten a free breakfast or a free lunch. And people think that the government started that. That was the Black Panther Party that started that. And our free medical clinic, which is now called the Carolyn Downs Family Medical Center, is the, is the lone existing original Black Panther free medical clinic uh, that's in operation. This, of course, is years before Obamacare, and that clinic is still operating today on 21st and Yesler in the CD. Uh, and these are an example of some of the programs that we had, our free food programs. You know, we used to do um, community dinners and community uh, breakfast uh, for, uh, for, uh, for people in, uh, at camp. Larry used to have us come in the Central Area Motivation Program, as did uh, you, uh, uh, Eddie, um, with gracious and always inviting us to use the facility at camp to feed people and, and organize in the community. And so those are some of the examples of how we worked and organized with the others in the community like yourself. In, in 1969, you know, the powerhouse was being remodeled and uh the Educational Talent Search Program, we had rented space above uh, Richland's grocery store in that building. Yep. And that's when we started collecting that. Gloria Martin is the one uh, from the Radical Women. She's the one that said, hey, everybody here got a job. Everybody need to donate some money <clears throat> to the, the, the Panthers breakfast program, feeding them babies. So I went to Harold Whitehead. He said, that's the best idea anybody's had in a long time. Right on. Yeah, right so on. That, was, that was really good. Yeah, and Harold about- Whitehead, I believe, was the assistant or the executive director of camp at the time. Yeah, he was the executive director. He's one that hired me to be the director of the talent search program. Oh, when, right when, black, when black students could go to the University of Washington with financial aid, matter of fact, some of y'all had apartments and new cars and was getting degrees left and right. And matter of fact, I think there are more black students at the University of Washington in 1972 than there is in 2022. Oh, I'm yeah. not talking about the football that's, or the basketball team. That's I'm talking very about, true. I'm talking about the the student body. Very true. Very true. The and thing, I want to uh, remind you. Go, go ahead, Gary. Uh, Larry. Oh, I'm sorry. I wanted to remind you, Elmer and Eddie, that Gary also worked at camp from 1982 to 1986 in our minor home repair program. He was responsible for signing up all kind of throughout the Central and Rainha Valley to get basic improvements in the head. We had Raki Mui, and that's where he met Cindy Domingo. Uh, she was the director of that program. So CAMP is an important community-based organization for all three of us, but also for the entire low-income black community of Seattle. Yep. Back in the day, then somebody became the executive director and said, uh, we got to change the name, but that's another story. I hear you, but we we should not erase our history. It's like uh, Clarence Williams is going to be coming on in a minute, and the new black firefighters tried to sell the historic landmark on Twenty Third and Pike that uh, that the retired black firefighters bought free and clear. And I talked to Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos. She said there's a possibility that it could be designated as a historic landmark. 
because there are certain ethnic properties and uh, places that are being designated as historic landmarks. And that would be some, we have to leave, even though we get ran out the CD, I'd like the artists is leaving the pictures of people on the deals about people like Flowware and Jimi Hendrix and stuff. You see these pictures. <clears throat> and I think that we have to go ahead and, and put some markers down on what we used to own so that people coming up that wasn't around, because, you know, after this many years of this so-called gentrification, I call it uh, economic apartheid. That's right. Uh, but young and people Andy, need you to know you what, what we used to be there. That. We're about to get uh, several panther sites designated as historical landmark, including the People's Wall there on 20th and Spruce. But the other thing that I'd like to announce to the listening audience is that we're in the process of building the first of its kind Black Panther Party Revolutionary Museum and, and resource, uh, Research Center for young people to come and learn about uh, uh, movements, learn about revolutionary theory, so that they can involve themselves in fighting against oppression here uh, back home in, in the United States. And so that museum is in the process. We haven't, we haven't designated the site yet, but we've got a few okay. places that we're looking at right now. Okay. Hey, I tell you what, <clears throat> we've been joined by uh, Clarence Williams, uh, uh, president of the Association of Retired Black Firefighters of the Northwest. And they're having a fundraiser at the Esquire Club on uh, Friday evening. Uh, to deal with the uh, legal issues that they have paying the lawyers to make sure we preserve that historic landmark. So Clarence Williams, why don't you share that information with Elmer and Larry Gossett and so they can use their network to make sure the Esquire is packed and people come with plenty of money so you can afford the attorneys you need. So go right ahead. Thank you, Eddie. And it's great to be on with such distinguished gentlemen who have done so much for our community. And what we're trying to do is preserve some legacy for African-American firefighters within the Northwest and particularly in the Seattle area. And we bought some property, a house years ago when we used to uh, be meeting at camp and we decided that we needed to have property of our own. So back in 1972, we purchased this property, which value has escalated to uh, make it quite worthy. And we have a few members, active members of the association who don't seem to share the same vision as the original purchaser of the property. And they have decided that they wanted to put it up for sale. So we are certainly opposed to that. And we had to file a lawsuit to get an injunction to hold off the sale. So far we have been successful in that the owner, the person who has put up the money to buy the property has rescinded his offer. And we that's good news for us, but we still, are not finished yet. We have to go back to court on the 28th of this month. And then again, back in, Febu back in February, we will be going back again. So we like folks to come out and just show your appreciation by having an evening of entertainment like we used to do for New Year's Eve. We're going to have some fun. We're going to have some singers and music. But more importantly, we'd like to have your donations so that we can afford our attorney so that we can continue the fight so we can be successful in uh, getting a, a affirmative verdict so that we will be able to keep this property and maybe follow the steps as uh, Senator Santos look at it as a historical landmark in days to come. Right on. Well, right. you know, I, I, I'll be there in spirit. Um, I, I'm speaking in, I'm in Ireland now, I'll be speaking in Birmingham, uh, UK tomorrow, and then I'm going on to Finland for a week. But I'll put it out on my network. If you uh, make a link available on your Facebook page, I'll post it on mine as well. Absolutely. And any help that we can get, um, you know, certainly your, your, your network, I'm sure, is a lot larger than mine. So we appreciate that. And we'll, uh, anybody who can't make it and would like to do a donation would be greatly appreciated. We can use right. the uh, help. So is there uh, uh, information good. about, let's see, I'm looking at an ad in the facts right now. Uh, and there's also one in the, uh, the media, my whole only right now. Uh, the evening of entertainment, and I also understand, let's see, music's by B DJ Guy. Uh -huh. and a, a very special guest performance by Mr. Chandler Williams. That's correct. <laughs> you know him, huh? <laughs> I, I know him quite well. And okay. this young man, he's down in L.A. right now. He'll be back. And tonight he's doing some music stuff down there, but he's coming back to make sure he's here to help Paul out uh, with, with a few songs at the event tonight. 
I love his thingy, bro. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Larry. I love his thingy. That brother can. That's because you haven't heard you haven't heard mine, but that's that's good. No, I haven't heard your thing. <laughs> Daddy. Yeah. Yeah, but it it's it, it promises to be a very and we have some good raffles that we're gonna be doing. We got uh two tickets to next year's Mariners game. We'll be raffling off during the event. There's a five-day state at a uh, a Marriott resort uh that we'll be giving away. There's some golf uh cards that we're going to be giving for those who like to go out to the range to the new range that's opening up in in Renton and some restaurants so it's going to be fun it's going to be profitable and hopefully somebody can get some of these good prizes that we'll be giving away during the event and uh the yeah. tickets are $25 a piece per person yes sir so uh and that's for for everybody and yeah. optional tie black and red but you can't wear I, I got a red Nike uh, uh, jogging suit, but you can't wear that in, the, in Esquire, can you? Oh, I think you can. It's it's not one of the formal occasions. This is one that anything that you wear red and black, they won't turn you out. And since we asked Eddie to do something special for us, to, when we get ready to do our fundraiser, you need to come be prepared so you can hear Eddie come ride. On, Eddie. Eddie, you wear <laughs> purple shoes, man. They're going to let you in anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I I don't know. I don't know. So I just want to check and make sure. And Eddie Rye is also an honorary member of the Seattle Black Firefighters Association. He has been for about the last 30 years. Right on. And, almost and, uh, 50, uh, brother. Elmer. Oh, yeah, that's true. I got a, I got a black firefighter jacket in, in 1970. No, not 1970. That's 52 years. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, and, uh, uh, real quickly, go ahead, Larry. Elmer, this, uh, I want to remind Elmer uh, and Mr. William Clarence uh, that in 1972, when we sit, took over the city council of Seattle on behalf of El Centro de la Raza, uh, Eddie looked like he had just stepped out of Superfly. He was so fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and when you look at his uh, Facebook page, you can see some of those pictures, you know. Right on. <laughs> so, Elmer, your next stop is in uh, uh, Finland. Is that tomorrow? No, I go to Birmingham tomorrow. Birmingham oh, okay. in, the, in the U.K. I speak at Birmingham City College uh, for their yeah. Black History Month. A black professor is bringing me there. And then I go to Finland on Saturday, and I'll be there a week. And I'll be uh, speaking there and doing a... Uh, an interview with a Finnish newspaper and also um, doing some guest lecturing at Yamp uh, University of Applied Sciences, which I've been doing every year for the last 12 years. So uh, I, I got another 10, 10 days or so that I'll be out and then I'll be home on the. I always stop in Paris on the way back. I'm going to stop and hang out with uh, Omari's brother, um, Randy, Randy Garrett. Some of you all know Randy. Tell Randy yeah. that all of us said hello. I didn't know you yep, to yep. him. Yeah, I, yeah. I hang out with Randy every year, and uh, wow, you know, he started he started the first uh, black and the only one that I know of a black, uh, not just black, but a barbecue Restaurant. joint in Paris. Um, yeah. uh, back in '72, was called Randy's Barbecue, and he ran it for 25 years. Um, okay, well, look, so, gentlemen, uh, we're out of time, so I want to thank y'all for for your right. time today and all the work that you're doing. So uh, thank you very much, Clarence. I'll see you Friday night, Elmer. I'll see you when you get back. Larry, I'll come pick your check up for the retired black firefighters to keep that house on my way to the Esquire Club. All, All right. right. Thank y'all. Right. Okay, we're going to take a All break, right, Eric, and come right back on. with our next guest after this. All right. Safe travels. <laughs> Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Live Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. 
Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend Port Gen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. All right, Eddie Ryan back at Urban Forum Northwest uh, trying to hook up with uh, Police Chief Adrian Diaz. Do we have him yet, Eric? Okay, well, in the meantime, I want to let everybody know about the Charles V. Johnson Youth and Law Forum, which will be held uh, on Saturday, August 22nd, and it will be held at the Tuck Willow Community Center. So I want to make sure you check that out. And also the Seattle Black Firefighters fundraiser Friday night at the Royal Esquire Club. And then Reverend Jeffrey are doing their revival prayer weekend, October 21st through the 23rd. That's on the front page of Medium. And I thought I saw something about the Green Dolphin in uh, Southeast, uh, the Central Area Senior Center. If I find that, I'll get it to you. But now we have, we do have the chief on. Uh, how you doing, Chief Adrian Diaz? Hello, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. So uh, um, congratulations once again for being appointed. I'll let everybody know on Facebook that I supported you become the next chief <clears throat> after being there, what, almost two years as, in an acting capacity? Uh, two so years. I, think, uh, I, just... I would rather go with the, with the guy I know that knows what's going on rather than have a new person come in and take two years to learn out who's who's in the city. So uh, <laughs> right now, all across the country, you know, they're pushing this crime thing. I think the biggest crime ever committed happened January 6, 2020 when they, somebody tried to overthrow the United States government. I don't think there's a crime any bigger than that. But uh, a lot of times, if people look at the resources that are made available, uh, my congressman's Adam Smith, and I know he gets tired of me saying this, but the House Armed Services budget is $780 billion. You think 10% of that, what would that do for the homeless, uh, for funding uh, what everybody needs in terms of uh, expanding? Your, your troops include uh, social service professionals and people like that. Yeah. So I just wanted to hear about some of your priorities uh, as chief. What do you, I know you're focusing on crime, but one thing that I kind of threw me for a loop, I called you guys Monday and you're closed at the headquarters. Oh, oh. Uh, was, that a, was that a holiday or something? No, we were closed, I think, uh, for um, Indigenous Day, but that was like, I think, uh, not last, la on this Monday, it was a week Monday before. So we, uh, right now, uh, for our headquarters uh, staffing, so all the precincts were open, uh, but for our, our headquarters staffing, if that person is sick, uh, we don't have a backfill for that person. So if they're out on a vacation or sick, uh, right now we we do struggle with our our staffing at the headquarters uh, front desk. So that's just the front desk security. And okay, so but that, that that could be a very important desk because what that could prevent a lot of people from having to call nine one one. So all of the precincts are open, they and then call the precincts. yeah, okay. yeah. So all the precincts are open. The, our non emergency line is open, and that or not our non emergency the the um, community uh, safety, oh CSCC uh, community safety communication center uh, is is has a non emergency line and has a uh, telephone reporting line as well. Mm -hmm. um, so so those are all operational. Typically at the headquarters, we uh, do like licensing, permitting, fingerprinting. Um, so when they're closed, that there are a couple services that do uh, get put aside. So, what do you need to curtail some of the crime that's happening in the city? Yeah, so you know some of the things that we've been doing, and I, we have uh, really staffing is our biggest challenge. Wholeheartedly, like you know, we've been pushing for fourteen hundred officers. I've kind of expressed 
the need of why we need 1400 officers. Number one, our officers are working double shifts. Uh, and after a while, you're burning people out and they're not getting the time and rest that's needed when they're responding to an increase in, in shots fired, uh, putting tourniquets and chest seals on people, trying to save lives. Like last night was our 50th homicide of the year. And, uh, it, you know, each person, like I spent time with the mother, I spent time with the family. Um, and these are very, they're, they're tragic cases. You're trying to make sure that you resolve them and you, you put resources into investigating every aspect of this case and wanting to make sure that you bring justice to the family. But it's also making sure that we have enough resources to be able to do that. This morning or this just this afternoon, we actually made an arrest in that case. And, you know, the, the victim was actually a coach from the CD Panthers. And we were able to safely take into custody the, the suspect who, who shot and killed him. And so, you know, the officers worked just an immense amount of time making sure that they, they created, you know, that they provide that justice for the family. But if you think about it, each and every case needs those resources to be able to do that to support the, 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 the closure of those cases. Um, and, and so first and foremost is staffing. The second piece to, to this is we want to we want to actually look at some of our low level uh, um, calls for service that are not necessarily crime related. We want to push a lot of those calls to alternative response. So we want we need to build up, you know, a lot of the organizations to be able to do some of the work that you know people just call nine one one for. And and honestly, I, I because I have short staffing, I would love to see you know mental health and some mental health calls being gone to you know mental health professionals. They're the experts in that field. Like you don't necessarily need a police response. If there is unsheltered population and there's issues, you know, that that can be supported by a social worker, completely support trying to find ways that we we push that work to to some of the social work. Um, but let us really focus on the criminal activity, the robberies, the rapes, the you know, the homicides, and and all of that right now over the last you know pre-pandemic. We have not gotten our 911 calls back to the pre-pandemic level. So we're still 30% under our pre-pandemic level. But when you look at how many reports we're writing, we're actually over what we had pre-pandemic. Like we're writing more reports than we ever have with 475 more officers that we had in four years ago. So that's where that's where the difference is, is that our officers are having to do a lot more paperwork, which is taking their time to not be able to respond to those high priority calls. And so we really are trying to figure out how do we create those alternative responses or how do we push people to online reporting to be able to do that work? What uh, what do you think it would take to get additional officers? Is it the lack of will by people wanting to become a police officer or is it re budget restraints? You haven't been given enough money by the city to accomplish the task. And I think there's also a signing bonus too, right now? Yeah. So we are doing a signing bonus. I think that there are a lot of, when you look at across the country, it doesn't matter where uh, where you're looking at. A lot of the agencies are feeling the effects of, of, of hiring. Um, and I think that there's less people wanting to, to become a police officer. There's a lot of scrutiny. Um, you're, you're put in a line of a, of, of a job that you're given an immense amount of power and you've got to be able to control that power. And, and so, you know, an officer, you know, can find themselves in an officer-involved shooting. And, and you know, we've got to, we're going to have a lot of scrutiny. Why? Because there needs to be a lot of scrutiny. Because if you're taking somebody's life, there has to be a lot of checks and balances. But some people are not willing to, to, to go on into that, into that, into this type of profession because, because of that, just that burden that they might end up finding themselves in. What I also talked about, this younger generation really likes to focus on service. They want to help people. We know that. But they don't always see policing as a service job. And we really have to get people to know that policing is about helping others. It's about, like, I, every single night, people are putting tourniquets on, saving lives. They're they're helping find the services that they, you know, they might need because they're homeless or they're living in a car or they're, you know, Officers are going out and trying to find ways that they're connecting with community in different in different ways. So it is about service. It is about how do we connect with community. And I think that that if we can really try to brand that uh, efforts, we can actually show people 
this is what you do when you actually become a police officer. You can change the world. You can change, you know, how you work with community, how you actually begin to love how you uh, interact with community. And hopefully we'll be able to get more people to actually want to do this job. You look at fire department, there was like close to 3,000 applicants in the last testing cycle. People want to become firefighter because it's the it's the getting the cat out of the out of the tree. It's the it's kind of the everyone loves them, right? So we've got to really push to, to how we interact with community, how we really make the community at the center of our focus, and then how do we actually you know show that we're a service job? Well, I'll tell you one thing: that Detective Cookie Bolden is doing a good job in terms of public relations for the Seattle Police Department. But I want to ask you: uh, Have you guys considered or made an attempt to go to like? Uh, Joint Base uh, uh, Lewis McCord to uh, to talk with some folks down there because you know they're making seven eight hundred bucks a month. You got on that way fifteen thousand dollars signing bonus, a chance to make a hundred thousand a year, and these people are fairly disciplined. Now we do have some proud boys in the in the ranks. We know that now, and also some oath keepers has been dis- disclosed already. Not only them, they, uh, now we had six police officers in the city of Seattle go back to January six as well. So we know that you know. There's a little bit of something everywhere, but I was just thinking about uh, uh, looking at people who are already trained and kind of restrained uh, and, and do uh, uh, that kind of recruitment effort. Have you considered that or have you tried it? Yeah. So, you know, you make a good point. You know, we want to make sure that we're hiring the right people, that we're doing everything that we can in backgrounds to make sure that there are people that are not involved in in, in, in insurrections, that are not part of, you know, the, the right wing, you know, organizations or even you know leftist so you know organizations that are also requiring you know that are doing terrorist acts. So we want to make sure that we're hiring really people that are invested in our community. And you know I actually had I made terminations in a couple of those that were in in January six. Um, and so for us, it's really about showing that we're accountable to our community. And and we are going out to joint uh, joint base Lewis McCord. We're actually going. I, what I also see, what I try to get our people to realize uh, and see is that that our department is, we're one of the few departments across the country where we've got officers that in patrol that have PhDs. One, in, somebody had a PhD in philosophy. We have people that have got uh, JDs. Uh, you know, we've got people that have been principals, engineers. And so that's what makes this department so fascinating is, is that there's so much background, so much diverse background that people have come into the job and said, look, I, start, I got tired of sitting at a desk uh, or I've got tired of sitting in in in, a, in an office. I now could go out into the community and actually help people, and and so that's where I'm recruiting. I want to recruit in HBCUs. I want to recruit where people will say, like I thought about doing a job as an engineer, and now I actually want to be a police officer. Mm-hmm. And and to your point, like we are going to continue to recruit in the military because there's a, they have a very similar structure to us. There's a paramilitary organization. They understand chain of command. They understand, you know, what it's like to end up, you know, doing some of the skill sets that we 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 do as a police officer. Uh, but I also am trying to make sure that I get this really good diverse background of people. And um, so we're hiring uh, recruiters at the city level, and then we're expanding out who we're going to actually be able to across the country find and locate those that want to actually work and and focus on service. Well, you know, my brother Jackie was a, a CL police officer about two and a half years. I think about okay. two and a half years. <laughs> that was back in uh, the late 60s. So uh, uh, he, he didn't last, he, but he ended up uh, being uh, the chief investigator with the public defender. And then he ended up retiring from the U.S. Office of Education in the okay. inspector general's office. So that, that training uh, as a, a police officer gave him the foundation to be able to go into another arena and succeed. So I just want to mention that as well. Well, and that's that's what's unique about this job is is that you you can build a skill set and really in, in in policing. Once you're a police officer, you can you might investigate traffic investigations. You might use math skills to understand like speed and how a collision happens and where you know things are happening. You might end up being the homicide detector, or you might write policy. You could be the SWAT officer. You could be, you know, working on a boat and fighting fires on in, in Lake Union. You, I mean, there's just so much work in a police department. There isn't almost a job that isn't uh, um, out there that uh, an officer or a police department doesn't do. We have accountants. We've got people doing fiscal. We have doing, you know, uh, 
legal. We have doing data. So there's just that's what makes this being a part of a police department so unique. Um, and so that's what we're we're hiring for almost all positions. Well, Chief Adrian Diaz, I really want to thank you for taking the time out to get on, be on Urban Forum Northwest. Uh, I think if uh, Eric, uh, let's I think after five o'clock, your interview will be available on Alexa and also on my podcast for the rest of the week. And then at the end of one week, you'll be archived on urbanformnw.com for one year. So well, folks can hear you and uh, you can also use the interview for any, any purpose that you see fit. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you very much. Take care. Okay. Okay, Eric, uh, I guess we go ahead and take a break until we get here from Mr. Peter Gashuru. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Going against the grain has never been this much fun. Alternative Talk 1150. All right, there you right back at Urban Forum Northwest. And I want to give a shout out to a few people before we go to my next guest. The City of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Office. Uh, the Port of Seattle's uh, Diversity Contracting Office. SeaTac uh, Bar Group, LLC. They own Africa Lounge and Mountain Room Bar on Concourse A at SeaTac. Uh, Sound Transits, uh, Office of Civil Rights, Diversity and Inclusion with John Tay Robinson. And my next guest is Reverend Harriet Walden, who... Uh, Host of Mother's Justice Show every Monday from 2 to 3 on the same uh, radio station channel at 1150 AM KKNW. And Reverend Harriet, I don't know if you get a, you had a chance to hear the interview with uh, uh, Chief Adrian Diaz, but uh, he is a very progressive person. He's been looking in the right places, and I agree with him on a lot of the issues. And, uh, you know, reducing the 911 calls means that uh, organizations that can provide social workers and crisis intervention kind of people uh, would take a, a lot of load off of the diminished force of the Seattle Police Department. Well, right, you know, I mean, to have to have to have a, a working uh, police uh, force like we had uh, on uh, May uh, 24th, 2020, would be a great thing. Uh, and also, uh, I, I want to, I know that I don't know if it's too. I know he's probably gone, but uh, I just wanted to say, acknowledge the great work of SPD and uh, in, in apprehension of the person who actually, uh, I, 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 you know, shot one of the community members last night, and that person passed away, and they made an arrest in that case uh, today, and uh, that's that's a good thing because they've been down there with the family already today. Yeah, so, well, he d- he did make make that announcement that they were able to make an arrest, and. Uh, is a, uh, a, I guess the, the young man, I, I can't remember his name off the top, but he was uh, definitely a, a, yeah. gave back to the community, I guess, as a football coach and was a business owner as well. So it's really unfortunate that happened. But 
What is your perception of what do you think uh, in terms of policing? You know, you've been founded Mothers for Police Accountability, a 30-year-old organization. So have you seen a lot of lot of different chiefs and a lot of other people involved because of, of your involvement. Uh, what do you think about uh, the city council giving funds to organizations that can do crisis intervention and take some of that load off uh, the Seattle Police Department? So you know what? We're the reason why you have crisis intervention. I mean, if it had not been for mother's work after the kill bullet got mentioned, you that wasn't here in Seattle. I mean, so we brought we 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 worked on that, uh, uh, and the DOJ found some 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 places where it needed to be uh, uh, needed to be strengthened. But before before uh, George uh, the untimely death of George Floyd, uh, our crisis intervention was one of the best in the nation. They get ten thousand calls a year. Uh, and 10,000 people don't get killed. So they've done, they've done, and once they go badly, they go badly. So I'm not a proponent of moving it out of, uh, out of STD. I'm a pro- mm-hmm. proponent of getting the social workers and all this, uh, like they have in other places, getting the social workers, because some of the social workers are not willing to go out on these calls without an escort. And people don't realize that either. So, so anyway, that, that, that's where I would stand on that. Uh, but uh, I, I do believe that the city council moved too fast in 2020. They didn't understand operations. They didn't understand how things fit together. It's a reason why you had 911 calls there. It was a reason why yesterday, the, the traffic stop people was there. It was a reason why all these things fit together. And the city council, in their haste, uh, uh, did not understand that, and they didn't care. I mean, they were busy running Carmen out uh, and that type of thing. I'm glad that uh, Chief Diaz is the chief. I think we're going to have a great improvement. They are working on this uh, new program that they have. It's the For the Badge. Uh, and these, these cadets, these uh, new, uh, young people or, or adults who are going to be going through the police academy to become police officers and, and uh, community service officers are already meeting out in the community. I think that's a step in the right direction. Uh, but again, city council moved too fast in 2020. And absolutely, they upset the apricot. Uh, and the reason why we don't have a lot of police officers in uh, Seattle and people complaining about 911 response, they need to take it to the city council. Uh, who is responsible for the budget for the Seattle Police Department, correct? That's correct. That is correct. Uh-huh. Uh, and since they knew, when they made these choices in 2020, you had, four, you, uh, you had four people who had just been elected to the city council and they had not even read the consent decree. But they all made they all made choices to vote uh, 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 the way that they did, and they didn't even understand policing because they, everybody had this uh, idea about what I mean. You have to understand policing and how things fit together. You know? And part, a lot of probably never went out to the precinct, never went to the roll call. You cannot have an anti-police uh, a city council uh, people and have public safety for the whole sector. I mean, Seattle has almost a million people in there. Yeah, that, that's right. Well, uh, we, the chief had talked about some of the things they were doing, and you know he's, he's definitely understaffed. There's no question about that. That's right. And he's yeah. the one that raised, uh, uh, made the comment regarding uh, having professionals. Uh, and like you said, uh, uh, professionals not going to go in on any call, especially where there could be danger looming. And I guess if you know if you had a domestic violence situation or that's any right. kind of uh, uh, physical harm being put on someone. You know, that's not, not a place for a social worker. That is a place for law enforcement because that's a violation yeah. of the law. But also now the fire department are getting threats. I mean, look what's happened to them. So now the fire department also want, when they're going out on the calls and some of these, you know, encampments and stuff, they actually want an escort because they've been threatened. Yeah, well, I tell you what, uh, I, I don't blame anybody, you know, seeking to protect themselves. Because it doesn't make sense to be careless about things. Well, one of the other things the chief did mention is that, you know, back on January 6, 2020, six Seattle police officers went back to uh, the uh, insurrection, the attempt to overthrow the United States government. And right. he indicated that two of them had been, had been terminated. Did right. anyone ever know who the names of these officers were that went no, back no, to? I think they went to court to try to keep that from happening. So I don't know. I, I, I don't. I think they won on that. I'm not sure. But more importantly, the president of Fog, uh, he won on when uh, America had to make, uh, to make America great again. I mean, and 70% of the police officers voted to get rid of the black police. Uh, uh, the, 
the black officer that was president of Spog, and they put in uh, Mark Sterling. Uh, and he's a he's a he's a mega guy. I mean that's that's what he ran on. So uh, the Seattle Police Department has some problems with people with racism in the problem, uh, and I know the chief is either working on that. So yeah, you know. Well, yeah, that's good here because I'm just I'm really concerned about you know uh, someone that would uh, feel that uh, it, all this crap about the election being stolen and go back. And even to be, even if you didn't go on the Capitol or not, you were back there in support of the right. insurrection to overthrow the United right. States o government. The United States government. Yeah. And I mean, whether you went to the Capitol or not, if you went back there to support that, I think you need to be fired. That's that's my personal feeling. <laughs> well, also, uh, while I'm on here, and I like to I let people know that next Wednesday night, Mother's having a community uh, meeting over here at the uh, community room in Liberty Bank Dolan, and we're going to be talking about what does a safe community look like for us? Are people always talking for us? But what is what are the elements of a safe community? I mean, what are those elements? I think we have to come up with that and not have other people talking for us. Okay, you know, everybody talks for us, but nobody nobody asks us what we want. We have a right to have a creative, we have a right to have a, a, a safe community. And what does that look like? And I want this community to come. And then call the city council and tell them that you really want, we want the, the shot uh, spotted. We want to try it out and let it, let us be the let let us pilot it ourselves and then we'll know for sure whether it works or not. Why not? Now the address of uh, the meeting will be at what time, Brian Maria? Uh, the, the meeting uh, the meeting will be at six o'clock on uh, next Wednesday, uh, and it's at fourteen oh five uh twenty fourth Avenue on the corner of uh twenty fourth and Union, right about right behind the communion uh, restaurant. Okay. And so this will be a mother's hosted uh, a community event. Okay. Right. A mother's event. You, you said you have other people on the agenda, uh, speakers? I uh, know. Uh, well, the agenda is that the elements of a safe community, the ele okay. elements of a safe community and, and what it looks like. I mean, the community is going to put their input in and then we're going to let the city council know that's what we're interested in. Yeah, that's the way the model cities used to be with the, with the, uh, the task force. Right. People would come together, the community would vote on what they wanted, and then right. uh, most of the time the money would come in that direction. But you're absolutely right to have the, that, 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 that audience and have the people speak up about what the people desire. So, Rem Herod, I want to thank you very much today and all the work you do, and I will be listening to you on Monday at 2 o'clock okay. on the same radio station. So thank you very much. Sure, appreciate thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great okay. afternoon. Bye-bye. All right. Okay, I want to remind everybody that uh, if on the front page of the facts, you can uh, see get information about uh, Reverend Dr. Jeffrey's Revival Prayer Conference. It's going to be happening the 21st through the 23rd. Uh, also, I want you to remember that, that if you didn't see the uh, Tuesday article in the Seattle Times in the Northwest section about Gary Owens, it's a very uh, good article done by Naomi Ishikawa. I uh, also want to remind people that there will be the Black Firefighters uh, Legal Defense Fund happening Friday at the Royal Esquire Club from 8 to 11, featuring a guest artist, Chandler Williams. And then also on Saturday, uh, the Youth and Law Forum will be held at the Tuckwilla Community Center at 12424 42nd Avenue South. Uh, uh, and if uh, it's geared for middle and high school students and you might have a lawyer in your family so make sure you take advantage of that so thank you very much Manetti Rye with another edition of Urban Forum Northwest thank you much Eric have a good weekend